This morning we're going to be looking at a subject, unity among brethren. And as you can see, this particular lesson is number one. There was no way to adequately discuss this subject in one lesson. And I thought, well, maybe two. But then I thought, well, we're trying to kind of keep the service shorter. And so I decided, no, I'm going to have three lessons. One lesson that kind of gets us towards it. And then the second lesson dealing more with our attitude that makes for unity. And then finally, number three, doctrine that makes for unity. But as you consider unity, if you'd say unity in the world, I'm sorry, there's never been a time where there's been unity in the world. When I was a child, and many of you can remember this, if you were to take our world and you take all of what China was, all of what the USSR was, it comprised a very significant geographical area and population of the world. And you know what we refer to all of that? The Iron Curtain. Now, you who are younger might not have even heard that phrase, but the whole idea was, no, you didn't go from west to the east, and you didn't go from the east to the west. There weren't those airline flights that every day were flying back and forth. It was very difficult to, as it were, cross the Iron Curtain. And behind that Iron Curtain, there was communism, and there were dictators, and life was harsh for those people living in those lands. And as a result of that, we experienced a period called the Cold War. No, it wasn't so much a shooting war, except for times that, as it were, uh, the United States were involved in the Vietnam War and the Soviets were supporting the opposite side of the Vietnam War. But that was a period of nuclear proliferation, such as the world's never seen. But then finally, that Iron Curtain came down about 1990 or so. And, and suddenly the world opened up and we became friends, or so it seemed. And it seemed like, well, the world's better. And then we learned in 2001 that the radical Muslims had decided to declare war on the West and particularly the United States. And so once again, we were just harshly made to see, no, this world is not united. And the reality is it never has been and it never will be. But this lesson is about unity among brethren. I want to tell you something. This has been on my mind for the last three to four months. And as I thought, well, what will I preach? That very first Sunday we get back, I couldn't help but keep going back to this subject. Because, oh, how we need unity among brethren. Now, if you say, do we have it? You know, there's unity among brethren in several ways. One, of course, is as it were brotherhood wide. And when I, once again, if I go back to when I was a little boy, 
If you went from one congregation to another to another, you found that they taught the, the same thing. They practiced the same thing. They even typically met at the same time. And there was much unity in that fashion. But I want to tell you something. I can go back to when I was a little boy. There was one area there was not unity, and it was a shame. There was almost 100% segregation of the races in churches when I was a little boy. Now, thankfully, in Tuscaloosa, in gospel meetings at Cottondale, some black brethren from a church across town would visit. And when they would have a gospel meeting, some from Cottondale, and I several times with my family would visit there. And I'm so thankful because I think even if we go back the 50 years, that was the beginning of breaking down this barrier that could finally make for unity. But even then, unity in many ways, but still one glaring way, there wasn't even then. We are, though, talking about, you see, unity in the body of Christ. Not in the world but in the church. First of all, let's notice that unity is desired. In Psalm 133, verse 1, you read, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Frankly, doesn't that just make you feel good when you are one of those brothers and you are dwelling in unity with your brother's Continuing with this unity desired, look at this prayer of Jesus. By the way, John chapter 17 is the prayer of Jesus, the entirety of the chapter. It's not there Him teaching us how to pray. It is His prayer. He even prays for you and me in this prayer. In verse 20, I do not ask for these only speaking of the twelve, those disciples that He had chosen to be apostles, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. That's me. That's you. We've come to believe and obey Jesus because of what the apostles have said and written. But then look in verse 21, that they all may be one. Now consider some things that He did not pray for. He didn't pray for us to have good health. We often pray for the health of others, don't we? He didn't pray for our good health. We sometimes pray for the land in which we live and our nation's leaders, as the Bible tells us to. But He didn't pray for the nation in which we would live, that it either be democratic or capitalistic, or that it has such laws written into its constitution of freedom of religion. No, He prayed for none of that. He didn't pray for our economic well-being. This is the one thing He prayed for. That they all may be one. This was Jesus' desire for His disciples that we be united 
And then he goes on and begins to describe this, how we're united. He says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. You know, maybe you've spoken of some, we're just like that. Well, Jesus and the Father, just like that. And he says, that they also may be in us. That we have the same kind of unity that Jesus and His Father has. Our unity is located in God and Christ. And then He says, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. So that the world may believe that You have sent Me. A united body of Christ does so much to say to the world, Jesus is Lord, but a fractured, backbiting, can't-get-along bunch of folks who call themselves Christians. I think it not only makes Jesus have tears, but it makes the world say, if that's what it is, I don't want it. Unity desired. But sometimes unity is disrupted, even within the Old Testament. For instance, there was Abraham and Lot, and their servants began to quarrel amongst themselves, and both had so many flocks and herds, kind of like, where do we put them all? And then, you know, Abraham and Lot had to separate. Unity disrupted. As you turn to the New Testament, you don't get any further than Acts chapter 6 and you find that there was, if you would, fussing among the brethren. And in Acts chapter 6, it was the, the Grecians or the Hellenists who were complaining that their widows were neglected. And... and in, in the daily ministration, in giving food and the care for those widows. And we might take a step back, like Grecians, Hellenists, that depends on the translation you use. These were still Jews. They were just Greek-speaking Jews. But yet it seemed like somehow their widows were neglected. Now, mind you, Apparently, this was a real problem. It wasn't just in the minds of the Greeks or the Hellenists, but it was a real problem that needed to be addressed. The apostles addressed it and took care of it. But you don't have to go very, very far into the establishment of the church. Establish chapter 2, get to chapter 6, and you could have there had the unity disrupted. When you go to Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Now this is that occasion when Paul is going to begin his second missionary journey. Now the first missionary journey, there had been Barnabas and there had been John Mark. And John Mark got so far and the tough, the going got tough and he turned back. Well, Acts 15, verse 36 is after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where 
we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them, John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, there was a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. And sometimes we go there and we say, okay, here's an example where two brothers can, can, and can so disagree that they kind of go their separate ways. But yet they're still brothers. And you know, it is an example of that. But I'd also say that now I've come to when I read this, I can't help but be a bit sad that they had such a sharp disagreement that they had to go separate ways. Another time we find, and this is so blatant, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and there you find in verses 10 and 11, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, I know somebody might say, well, here's talking about doctrinal things. And back there in Acts 15 with Paul and Barnabas, it was not doctrinal. And I would say, yes, that's right. But I think it's kind of interesting that Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, let me tell you something. If you say, why are you talking so fast? Because I'm looking at my watch. And I know that we're kind of cutting worship. Well, it's not so much that worship is cutting short, but, you know, we didn't serve and pass trays. And so we realize that time is not involved. But even though I plan three, I plan too much for one, I think. But this word agree, he tells us, Corinthian church, you've got to agree. He didn't agree with Barnabas. And then in verse 11, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Unity disrupted. And then you read about Odious and Syntyche. Aren't you glad we don't name our children that now? Odious and Syntyche. And apparently they had had a disagreement. And he says, you agree. And brethren, help them to agree. I'd like to say, no, there's never been any problem with the subject of unity in the Lord's church. But all you need to do is go back to the New Testament and read. And there you find it. And there's other examples that we could even give. Unity disrupted. But now let's turn to 2020, the year that we wish to forget. There's many unity destroyers today, and I know some of these I'm going to put up here, you're going to say, that's silly. But I want to tell you, sometimes the attitude people take towards it can almost be divisive. The first one, I'm brave enough to say this. 
Alabama or Auburn? <laughs> okay, I grew up in Tuscaloosa. All right. So everybody knows who I, I yell for on Saturdays. But I'll, I'll be honest. I'm very, very tired of those radical nuts on either side. And sometimes people can be almost so loyal to Alabama or Auburn that it's like, wait a minute, where's Jesus? And now we hit 2020. Oh my. Mask or no mask? Well, it's mask because the mayor said wear a mask. But you know the exchange that goes back and forth. COVID-19, is it real or is it just a conspiracy? And you've seen the exchange that goes back and forth. And I know that there can be logical, kind, gentle discussions with regards to these things. But is it always that way? The slogan, the slogan, Black Lives Matters or All Lives Matter. Racism. And you know good and well racism destroys unity. And I've already noted, if you would, from the 60s and 70s, kind of my growing up years, that was that place within the church that we failed to be united. Some of these things you might say, that's opinion. You get down here to racism, and that's an absolutely right or wrong issue. As we find that Peter says of truth, God is no respecter of persons, and neither should we be. Political preferences, party or person, and you know sometimes these things too, and the way we speak, what we say, can destroy unity. Personalities in the church, strong personalities, nasty attitudes. Now, one thing I didn't put up here, I'm going to put it up here now. Isolation. That's hurt us. It has. Isolation, it's hurt us. All of these things in 2020 that have a tendency to be unity destroyers today. What do you think Paul's attitude would be towards these things? Seriously. Apostle Paul, here's what I think would be Paul's attitude. Because you see, 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3 is dealing with the subject of unity. There was a problem at that congregation, chapter 1. You get to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Look at verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I can promise you this. There's so many things that we get wrapped up in. And there's so many things that the way we express ourselves, we divide ourselves from brethren, I think he'd say, uh-uh, it's Jesus. None of that matters. It's Jesus. 
to the church at Corinth. I came there to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I think certainly the implication of the Corinth brethren, you be united, but you've got to be united in Jesus. Unity destroyers today. And last, and we've got to go quick, unity dream, the dream. You know, you say dream, somebody might think, I, I remember that speech. I have a dream speech. Martin Luther King delivered 28th of August, 1963. I don't know if you have read that in its entirety or listened to it in its entirety. If it were a picture, it would be a masterpiece. The man was a wordsmith. That was truly a piece of oration. Now, there's a couple of sections that we tend to remember about it. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Another quote that you remember, I have a dream that my four little children will one day where they, one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And we think dreams and unity, sometimes we might think of that, but I want to talk about the dream as it were, unity in the church. Look at Colossians 3, verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Okay, you got Greeks, Gentiles, Jews. That would be a way to divide up. He says there's not Greek or Jew. Circumcision or circumcised. Once again, that would describe the Greek or Jews. These are barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Barbarian, Scythian? You know, Scythian, what's, what's that? That was a people that was... Somebody described them this way, more, more barbarous than the barbarians. They were a savage, warlike nomads. And so you're talking here about some bad folks. Then slave or free. And I'm glad the ESV has the word slave because that doesn't, as it were, gloss coat it. it. It is what it is. Slave or free. And how did you start out? There is not. In Jesus and the church, there is not any of this. He said, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. This is how we ought to be in Christ, bearing with one another. And if one have a complaint against another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, and so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And the peace of Christ ruling your hearts to the which you are also called in one body and be thankful. This passage, the word unity is not there, but yet he starts out, there's none. There's nothing that separates. And we are in the one body. And that should be our dream and desire. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. As many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. This is the dream of being one. And this dream of being one is the same as Jesus' desire that they all may be one. And I am past time. Like I said, I broke it down to three lessons. And lesson number one even is a bit too long. But I want us to understand, yes, this subject, so, so important. 
and now more than ever. If you're subject to heaven's invitation, if there's a need for baptism, if there's a need for prayer, please come as we stand and sing.